0: Bose is the presenting partner of Beyond the Grid. That's because Bose QuietComfort 35.2 goes beyond what you would expect from a pair of headphones. Just flip the switch to experience the industry-leading active noise reduction feature, and all distractions of the world around you fade away, allowing you to focus fully on what matters to you.
1: Hi, I'm Toto Wolf, and
0: you're listening to Beyond the Grid. Hello all, TC here with another edition of Beyond the Grid. Now there have been many great team principals in Formula 1 history, names like Enzo Ferrari, Colin Chapman, Ron Dennis, Jean Todd, but many would argue that my guest this week is worthy of being in the same company. Such are the things that he's achieved at the helm of Mercedes over the past few years. I'm talking, of course, about Toto Wolff. Toto took charge of the Silver Arrows five years ago and the team's success has been nothing short of spectacular ever since. But success in F1 isn't the only thing that defines the thoughtful Austrian, which is why his story is so compelling. We sat down in his hotel room at the Singapore Grand Prix, which, for the record, was nothing spectacular. A bedroom and a bathroom, nothing flashy, no penthouse suite for this guy. And as you'll probably notice, it wasn't especially soundproof either. There was a lot of ground to cover, but as expected, Toto took it all in his stride. Toto, welcome to be on the grid. Uh, thank you for your time. Um, so much to ask you. Let's kick off by talking about your sidekick, Nicky Lauda. How is he?
1: He's uh, on the mend, as you say, in England. But um, the surgery replacing both lungs um, is quite a quite a complex. Um, operation and um, he's getting better every day the, um, the lung functions well and he's in, in, in a positive spirit I was allowed to see him in intensive care last week and it was a, a super happy moment for me to see him um, absolutely there the, when I came in uh, I said you're looking better than I thought and uh, he replied Nikki style uh, with a very rude comment uh, can I say that, actually, on a podcast? Or he he yeah, called yeah. me an asshole, <laughs> um, which was the best... Is that how he normally greets you? No, normally not, but this is the best asshole I've ever heard in my life because it showed me that Nicky's back.
0: It's a really interesting um, double act, you and Nicky, isn't it? And I am I, I. hope I'm not putting words into your mouth, but was he a hero of yours when you were growing up, when he was doing his thing as a driver? Or? Um, as
1: When I came into Formula One, I... I looked at it less from the fan side, more from the business side. So, Niki Lauda is the most iconic Austrian, and um, uh, one of the greatest personalities in Formula One. So, obviously, he was a common name, and we have a family relation. Um, Actually, he's the the cousin of my ex-wife, so I knew him for a long time. But we never got to work with each other, and uh, when Daimler decided they want to both put us together in this venture, it took a while until we actually um, uh, synchronized. And, uh, but after that year, the, the relationship grew stronger and stronger. We are very complementary in terms of strengths and, and weaknesses. And now it's been the sixth year, and we've not only traveled to most of the races together, but we have become friends and completely aligned in our objectives as to where we see the team should develop. And insofar, um, Nicky not being here is a little bit like having cut a leg off.
0: But you've now been team principal for, what is it, five years. Let's just talk about that time. Is it a long five years or a short five years? For
1: me, it is a long five years because what I've been doing before in my job was uh, having great diversity in terms of the project. I was looking at various companies Investing and and, uh, the sheer nature of investing mean one day you you need to exit and you sell you sell the team or you sell the company. And here we have a situation where 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 I launched myself into something which I can actually see myself being involved long term. But I take it um, as it comes. It's the it's the sixth year now with Mercedes, and before that I've been three years with Williams, and um, I still enjoy what I do. But um, i i i I like to continue to enjoy the ride and 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 see what i can strengthen the team and if one day i would feel that i'm either not enjoying it anymore or i cannot contribute in the way i would expect myself to do so then i would do something else again
0: so the current contract is until 2020 am i right you're right and and uh i mean if it was a driver contract we'd all be asking about now are you thinking of renewing we've had a lot of lewis hamilton chat recently um Where are you at with the job and re-signing with with Mercedes?
1: I I guess the difference between a driver and myself is that when we invented the structure in 2000, at the end of 2012, um, one of the key fundamentals was becoming a shareholder. And um, and therefore, by investing in the team, uh, it is not a matter of uh, a contract running out and then um, embarking on a new venture. But it needs to be a more structured approach. And I feel extremely honoured to be a partner with Daimler in, in their Formula One team. And insofar, uh, we have decided that next year we're going to look at things, how we want to continue beyond 2020. But it's not about a contract running out. There is, there's just there's more fundamental um, questions to be asked.
0: Ah, as in just about what, where Formula One is? Or... Timeless commitment to Formula 1? Is that, is that what you're referring to there?
1: No, it is more that I always try to meet my own expectations. And um, as long as I, as I said before, as long as I think that I can meet them and I'm, I can I can contribute to the team's success or the team's journey, it's not always an upward journey, um, and and the Mercedes brand in Formula 1, then, then I would think I would like to continue. But... Um, this world is moving so fast and that's why I don't want to take a decision today for what I will be starting thinking over the winter.
0: Would you have taken the job, um, was it back in 2012 you took the job, wasn't it? Would you have taken it had you not been offered a, a share of the team? Was that, How fundamental was that?
1: It was very fundamental for the board of Daimler and myself. They, they wanted to restructure um, how the team was being run and... Their thinking was that it needed a managing partner that would uh, that would take some risk, that would have skin in the game and therefore invest into the team and also um, take make all decisions on track. A multinational global corporation has a different structure, needs to have a different structure than a small racing team and insofar it was a win win this is what they expected for the new for the new organisational setup it is something that i that was uh, absolutely vital for me of um, uh, being in the capital of the team
0: so what is your management style Have you been first that?
1: of all i don't think that anybody should speak about their own management style because this is the beginning of losing the plot uh, <laughs> and and you can't really define it on a single sentence i, I think uh, managing, uh, managing an organization is very much how you are as a human, and the, the single most important uh, personality trait in, in doing so is being authentic. You, you're, the team and the people you, you work with need need to be able to need to be able to, um, need to, be able to um, understand what you mean.
0: Can you be friends with people who are your employees?
1: Everybody um, in the team has a family and hopefully friends that he is being close close to. And um, we are on a journey together. And whilst being on the journey, we spend a lot of time with each other. And um, hopefully we have a lot of common objective. And by being in that situation, relationships grow strong. And I would like to say that with some of the people in, in MGP, um, but also with some some of the people that I've worked previously, be it in, in Williams or in the DTM team in HWA, I have forged relationships that go beyond a simple working or trivial working relationship.
0: What about stresses? You always have this... Um... Very relaxed, apart from when you're slamming the desk. <laughs> you sometimes slam the desk. We see that on telly, but otherwise you seem to be a very calm outlook. What What have been the biggest stresses? What What gets to you? What gets your goat?
1: The racing itself, you know, the the thumb thing is not, the, maybe that doesn't make me look most intelligent whilst whilst it's happening. But uh, it's again, it's it's me. I'm I'm getting I'm getting angry when we lose a position, and I'm emotionally involved and passionate but um beyond the the, the qualifying and racing situation um i think it's important to not forget that what we do is sport it's not politics and um and uh insofar it's it is important to kind of have the right calibration and not take yourself or what we do too seriously and there is there is a few out there in the paddock that have either done that for a long time or haven't seen any other normal business environment that maybe struggle to have the kind of the right calibration.
0: That's really interesting. Can you put some names on that? (laughs) No. No. Um,
1: And I wouldn't, you know, it's just my opinion and my perception and I wouldn't do them justice because obviously, obviously everybody's trying to do the best possible job. And, um, and uh, my opinion isn't necessarily the ultimate truth.
0: What about what about um, those stressful moments Talk to us about Nico and Lewis, for example. what was the most stressful moment when Rosberg and Hamilton were going hammer and tongs and how did you keep it a little little because you did It was very interesting because I, the team
1: and myself we grew into this situation. When I joined the team we we, we were, we were capable of scoring podiums at best, and then in 2013, we we started to win races. But it was rather not. We didn't see that coming. So uh, it was either one or the other. We didn't have a situation that both drivers were actually fighting for a championship, which has become a tot- which then became a totally different ball game. And you you realize that both of them are complete alpha drivers, both of them um, want to um, attempt to win a world championship. Nobody, none of them has slotted in for number two. And this is a little bit like a volcano that has started to um, shake and then eventually erupt and every, every single controversy uh, grew into um, into something bigger. And that became quite quite a distraction for the team to
0: manage. What about you personally, though? Because you have to, I assume, be right down the middle with both of them. Or or did you find yourself sort of wanting to lean to more, towards one more than the other? Or does it get complicated like that emotionally?
1: Because we are humans, it, it always gets complicated emotionally because at times you're like one more than the other. And it's completely, that is completely normal, but I had a discussion uh, with Alain Prost uh, back in 2014, which gave me a good um, a good learning. And I asked him the question, what went wrong between him and Senna? That um, two great drivers then um, had a, saw a relationship breaking down and ending in collision on track. And he said the biggest problem for him was the transparency of the management. They never knew what the agenda of the senior management in McLaren was. You never knew whether you were in or out, whether you were the flavor of the month or not, whether there were politics against you or not. And what I tried to implement uh, very early in the team is was the ultimate transparency. We talk about things. Sometimes it's the unconvenient truth. It's things you don't want to hear. And um, over time and over the years we got to know each other better and we, st- we started to trust each other. And the unconvenient truth is something that can be very helpful in order to achieve your objectives and um and you just put it all out and sometimes you agree but sometimes you walk off the table and you agree to disagree i love that sentence by the way in england only only the english could invent such a sentence it
0: doesn't translate into german it
1: doesn't though. translate into any other language <laughs> i know um to agree, agree to disagree and then at least understand each other's standpoint and that is very important and this is how we handled the situation with Nico and louis and It wasn't me alone, but in the process, there were many others in the team that that were really helpful and that managed it in the same way I I did.
0: Do you feel that Lewis has grown since Nico left the team? Is is the Lewis Hamilton we're seeing today the same as the one that was losing the world championship to Nico Rosberg? What is
1: inspirational with Lewis is that um, he's a personality that tries to grow on and off track all the time he analyzes all all his shortcomings and over the six years I've been working with him um, his personality has become stronger, he knows what he wants he's obviously become older also, but for me the most important um, point in our relationship was a discussion we had after um, the falling out between him and Nico at the end of the 2016 um, season, we ended up in my house um, after the Christmas party of the team, and discussed everything. The, the what I called before the inconvenient truths, and and it ended up in a few hours of discussion. Since then, our relationship has has become very strong, and we are able to we speak to each other many times every week, and we are able to just um, discuss things, even 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 sometimes they are awkward to discuss.
0: Do you feel your relationship with him has become um, what's the right word? Is it almost more paternal now? Well,
1: I would hope that he, he doesn't see me in a paternal role. Like I'm too young to be a <laughs> father, and he has one that is, um has played a huge contribution and uh, contributed hugely into, into his career. No, you can't replace the father, of course, but I think I, in my role... Maybe like,
0: avuncular would be a better word than sort of more like a, an uncle. Your experience, you have, you're, what are you, 46, you have a lot of worldly experience, not just in Formula One. And do you feel Lewis... Feeds off that.
1: He has a pretty cool uncle as well, who I <laughs> happened got to <laughs> know. Um, no, I think I'm I'm different. I'm I'm running the team, and in that function, um, I'm responsible. But because our relationship has become multidimensional, we are not only talking about the racing and the organization. Um, we talk about his fashion venture and my investments and family and. Um, and this is important because the better you know the the person with whom you're on the same journey, uh, obviously the stronger the relationship gets.
0: How key is Lewis to your plans going forward? We, how nervous were you with coming into the, the recent negotiations that have seen him resign? I mean, had he decided to disappear and go and do something else,
1: like we were, were you genuinely worried? Like I said to you before, what we do is sport. I'm I'm never anxious or anxious or worried about anything. Um, But Lewis has become a very important pillar in the team over the last six years. Taking a driver out with his his, uh, capabilities, who has been very influential in the team over the last six years and has grown into the team, would have been a disruption. And I think that in a tough championship like this year, Um, stability is a factor going forward so I think from his and from my perspective we always tried hard um, to come to a a solution and we actually never doubted that we would
0: He has a lot else going on I mean just coming into this Singapore Grand Prix he's been where has he been since Monza he's been to Shanghai to launch a clothing collection he's been to New York he's he's a busy guy Do, do you worry that he might just wake up one day and ring you and say Toto. I don't I don't want to do this anymore I've got too much else going on
1: As I said to you, he's very um, Has very many interests and um, it was music when we started together and today fashion has become a an important um, part of his life and when I see him enjoying uh, designing his own collection and uh, and presenting it in Shanghai last week, it makes me super happy. Because if he's in a good place, and if we played a tiny little role in, 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 in making him achieve that, um, that means that our not only our relationship is stronger, but also he will come to Singapore in a, in a, in a better frame of mind. And we had this discussion already five or six years ago. People asked me, how can you allow it that he travels from Shanghai to New York and back and then races in Singapore? And my response is still the same. We should not put anybody in a box and be judgmental. Just because it doesn't work for us flying around the world and then driving a race car, or managing a team effectively, doesn't mean that it doesn't work for him. It works for him. He's a four-time world champion. He's for me the strongest driver of the current generation. And insofar, it's not necessary for me to interfere.
0: Do you think he's driving better this year than ever before?
1: Well, we say that every every time. But I think his driving is, has been exceptional over the last few years. I don't see any any mistakes anymore. And if I see them, they are tiny. But uh, again, there we discussed them. And uh, he wouldn't be leading the World Championship against a very strong ferrari team and a very strong sebastian vettel if he wouldn't if he wouldn't be an exceptional racing driver
0: toto you have achieved some amazing things um i always feel very inadequate talking to you i have to say (laughs) because i look at what you've achieved in your life and i go god what have i been doing for the last 43 years but (laughs) but um just talk us through some of the stuff you've achieved what what is your proudest achievement to date can be racing outside of racing.
1: First of all, I feel flattered when you when you say that, but I think you have done pretty well as uh, as well. <laughs> um, and then you can't talk <laughs> about achievements of somebody who is in his forties, because we are on a journey and we try. I really try to be a better me tomorrow and and uh, the next year. Try to grow as a as a human and and as somebody involved in, in, the, in the Mercedes F1 team. But you know, every day I look myself in the mirror and I'm annoyed about the things I did wrong. And insofar, I enjoy the journey. Formula One is, is what I do now. But, um, you know, there's plenty other people to compare yourself out there that have done much better. Or have done much more. Have had an impact on the world. Have changed the way technology works. Have played a fundamental role in 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 in, in, in for the environment. Ha- are um, involved in politics. The Austrian Chancellor is in his early 30s. Um, I'm not even talking about the the great people in Silicon Valley who have provided us with all these new fantastic digital um, tools. So. Who am I running a Formula 1 team that is successful? Yeah, that's, that's great. But it's a tiny, tiny little things about um, in comparison to what other people have achieved.
0: So what gets you out of bed in the morning
1: then? The stopwatch. I mean, first of all, my wife gets me out of bed because if I lie, lay in, I'm a, and I'm not a morning person, I'm an evening person, she, she comes in the room with a little one and says, well, it's time to get up. And there's no chance to escape that. But are um, you a
0: man then who, do you press snooze is that the first thing you do on your alarm press n- snooze
1: No then there I'm too I feel too responsible again and there is this I have this you know I can pretend to sleep until a certain time but then eventually you have to get up in a household that is busy and and and, and be in a team where there is many people that sit on their desks already um, what was your question of? Well,
0: just what gets you out of bed in the morning? You've achieved so much. I mean, the statistics, in case people like since you took over Mercedes, there have been 86 pole positions and 72 wins. I mean, it's an extraordinary record. A lot of people would argue you've got nothing else to prove running a racing team. You say it's the stopwatch that gets you out of bed still?
1: Yes, it's the stopwatch to be part of an organization and form a team that can be successful long term after and beyond the single individual, beyond me, beyond James Allison. Make it a, a a machine that runs because the strengths go so deep into the base of the team, growing the young talent that that is that is that is there and giving them, empowering them. This is what, what I enjoy doing. But at the same time, the seventy or so wins, how, how many was it? Uh, it is
0: 72 wins and counting, the, I feel. It's the past.
1: What counts is Singapore in three days and that worries me. And it drives me to to win the next races, to do better, to hopefully be in the hunt for another championship. The past will be nice to watch one day when when, you, when I call it a day and we'll make a big line below and say this was the record. Then let's look at the number and see whether it was successful or not. But whilst it's running, I am—I don't look at, at any of these statistics.
0: Your father passed away when you were fifteen, am I right? Yep. Um, what sort of an uh, impact did that have on you at the time, and does it still have an impact on you today? Is there, at some level, is that does that help your motivation today?
1: I think it is a it is a very big motivation because if a um, child or a teenager suffers um, from trauma, that is something that is that becomes part of you, and channeled in the right way, it can become a great driver. But I'd rather spare any child or teenager in, to lose. Um, a um, parent because obviously the psychological um, impact is enormous and it was for me
0: how did it affect you at the time did it because you were studying at the lycée français in uh, in Vienna um, did you do anything rash did you what what happened next if you like
1: again here it was very traumatic to to lose my father and and we were in a very complicated in a very complicated financial situation because he was he was ill for almost 10 years and died when he was 40 41 years old 41 years old so um that was um, complicated and i think it formed me but again i try to um, reference to what others have gone through and and uh, I, My These years were for sure very um, traumatic and difficult, but I wasn't the only child
0: to whom that happened, insofar. um, So you're in a, you said, a a difficult financial position at home. So you thought you'd go and become a racing driver? (laughs) No, that happened. happened (laughs) I mean, let's face it, the most expensive sport in the world. Talk me through that. That happened much later.
1: Um, I wasn't um, following any racing back then, but when uh, we made the driving license, or just before I made the driving license, a um, friend, of, friend of ours took the group of maids out for a weekend to Amsterdam. Don't ask what we were yeah, doing okay. there. I was going to, but... Yeah, but on the way back we stopped at the Nürburgring, where a very dear friend of mine, Philipp Peter, was competing in Formula Three, in the German Formula Three Championship. He was a front runner. He, w- he became an Audi Works driver later on. And from the moment I, I came into the paddock and then uh, looking looking at the cars and, the, and and being on the grid, I caught the bug. And uh,
0: what was it that was so intoxicating about it? Why? What was it about it that? It made was you want more.
1: it was the the man able or not to control this machine, and um, it felt like gladi- modern gla- gladi- gladiators. And uh, this is where I said to myself, well, I, "I want to become a racing driver. I need to get, I need to see how I can how that can be done."
0: How old were you at the time?
1: I was seventeen.
0: Okay. so, so how did you then? go about it I mean as I say it's not just buying a pair of football boots and a ball is it it's how, how do you even begin
1: I began by um, uh, making a Christmas birthday Christmas and birthday wish list so it was two years in a row so it was four gifts um, um, into one and and um, asking my family whether they would pay me a um, racing school and it was so expensive, so I needed to combine them: for two Christmases and two, two birthdays. And um, I went to the Walter Lechner Racing School on the old Red Bull Ring, and spent uh, two, three days there racing Formula Ford cars or learning how to drive Formula Ford cars. And it and it, that went um, well. And um, it was it became clear this is what I want to do. And then I I was uh, going out trying to find sponsorship in order to afford racing.
0: So that then became the goal. You, done, you did the, the, the Walter Lechner Racing School and then, like so many of these young guys coming through, that became the all-consuming passion.
1: That became the all-consuming passion. I couldn't afford single-seaters at the beginning, so I was doing a thing that was called Seat Ibiza Cup. I bought myself a Seat Ibiza, which also became my road car. And, um, and this is how I grew into it. And then I worked for Walter Lechner as an instructor on um, in Spielberg. For a few years, and um, and and became uh, one of the front runners in the Austrian and German Formula Four. I went to New Zealand, and uh, it started like a uh, um, like a po- um, positive little racing career. How good were you? Well, as we are t- sitting here in a hotel room, and I'm involved in the management of a team, obviously uh, not r- not out there driving a car. Obviously, not good enough. <laughs>
0: But there are a lot of guys who aren't Formula One drivers. I mean, you raced against some good guys. Um, it was a pretty stellar period for sort of Germany and Austria, wasn't it, at the time. You know, you won races. Just don't be modest. I think people would be genuinely interested to know. And then later on, which we will come to, you, you won rallies and GT races and...
1: I think I got myself to a point that I was able to fight for wins in Formula 4. and back then the German Formula 4 Championship was like the, I would say, current um, Formula Four or Formula Renault Euro Cup. It was quite a strong championship, but I ran out of money. A sponsor um, um, uh, stopped uh, financing after the Senna and Wendlinger incidents in 1994. And this is why I stopped all my racing activities. Also because I saw some of the young guys coming up that, that clearly had more background and a lot of talent. Um, Alex Woods is somebody that I, um, that I mentioned in the past, but there was also Nick Heidfeld. He just started his racing when, I, when it was my last year in Formula Forts. And you could immediately see that these kids were different.
0: What were they doing differently?
1: They were just faster. Straight from the get go, even in in their rookie seasons, I remember Nick Heidfeld was was running a Formula Ford sixteen hundred um, in a field of eighteen hundred. Uh, so the best sixteen hundred would qualify midfield at best. And we had a rain and a wet qualifying in Zolder, and this tiny little boy, I don't know how old he was, put his sixteen hundred Formula Ford in the second row. And so you could see that there were there were some that were more special.
0: Does it irk you that you never made it as a driver?
1: No, nope, I don't think so. I think um, so far, I'm 46 years old. My racing career would have been finished since almost 10 years now. I did uh, okay for myself. Um, I, I don't think I could have achieved um,
0: anything similar as
1: a racing driver.
0: But you did go on after the racing career and you had a very successful business career. What was it? Can you just shed some light on on what it was that you did between end a racing career and starting again in Formula One? I'm not sure it's, uh, I, your pod, pod, podcast is long enough, but when
1: <laughs> I stopped racing in 1994 because I couldn't finance it anymore, I couldn't find any sponsorship anymore, I, I called it a day mid-season. And I'm always, I'm always pretty radical when I'm taking a decision and I've taken an opinion this is where I am this is it and um, and I went to work for a bank in Warsaw
0: so quite an extreme
1: yeah from a racing car um, into a trading floor of a bank in Warsaw was pretty extreme and was tough to swallow I
0: can tell you did I, you miss driving did you miss the adrenaline of it and
1: I missed the adrenaline a little bit but I um, I felt that I was too old as a racing driver already but then at least I was much younger than everybody else in the bank and this kept me going. And from then on I uh, created, created a little business um, uh, and uh, never followed racing until many, many years later, 1999, so there was five years in between where a friend of mine called me and said, we're doing this fundraise." the six hours of, um, I think it was Ungaring or Renault, in a BMW M3, are you up for it? I said, I haven't driven a racing car since five years. Um, And he said, come on, let's do it together. And this is how I came back
0: as an amateur racing driver and enjoyed myself. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I've read that you've spent some time on the west coast of America, and uh, you saw AOL and companies like that growing, and and you took that know-how back to Austria was that where you had your biggest successes in business it started actually a
1: little bit earlier because i was running my my own um, um, trading company and one of our main customers uh, went into administration and the only way of saving our our debt and our outstanding outstanding debt was was to buy that company and this is the first time i got in touch with Um, mergers and acquisitions and actually got interested how that functioned. And pretty much at the same time then I I went to the US, it was the East Coast actually, and stayed there um, for a month. And this was the time, it must have been 1997 or 1998, where these first American internet companies appeared. Um, Netscape, um, America Online. And I started to get an interest, went back to Austria and I realized that there was a little, um, a very young little group of entrepreneurs doing exactly the same on a much smaller scale in Austria. And what I did is I invested in the businesses, not really with money because I didn't have that much, but it was more consultancy against chairs. And uh, unbelievably, the the, the internet um, picked up. and. Uh, the stock exchanges in America, Nasdaq and in Europe the, the neue markt we um, were going through the roofs and, and, and these little these little structures that were not even companies, but just had a bright idea or, or, or on a website, became companies, grew, had proper employees, and we listed them on the stock exchange. And from a one-man show Um, consultancy against equity, became um, an investment company with with proper people and we had offices all around Europe and um, became one of the successful German-speaking venture capital companies.
0: And that was March 15?
1: Yes, we called it March 15. uh,
0: Dare I ask why it's called March 15? Or is it obvious?
1: It's not obvious. We had a PR company that felt uh, we needed... A cool-sounding name, and this is what they came up. It was the day we founded the company
0: on March fifteenth. On March fifteenth, yeah. <laughs> and so the other company, March sixteen.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I'm not very creative with these things, <laughs> so I called every follow-up company. I called March sixteen or next March or something with March.
0: Yeah. Okay, so that that's those were your biggest successes. Then you you're racing as an amateur, and then Williams, yeah, talk us. us through that so you you became a shareholder in 2000 and i'm looking at you in the eye nine
1: there was a much more important um
0: uh,
1: event before when when i got when i was involved in rallying i had a i had some fun with a um, um enjoying myself in the car rallying is a it's is an exceptional sport. It's more than just driving fast, but it's also um, um, experience and intelligence. So I enjoyed myself. And um, I was a co-shareholder with, an, with, um, with um, somebody else, and, and um, it was, a, it was a, a nice little company to grow. And I was, besides doing that, I was also supporting young racing drivers. I felt that what I didn't have, I wanted to provide to others who had the talent. And uh, I, ex- I helped a young Canadian driver called Bruno Spengler, who is a DTM driver, Alexandre Primar, who, who was a front runner in, in Formula 3, won Macau, uh, raced in GP2 against Lewis and was pretty successful. And um, by doing so, I... Uh, got to know the Mercedes junior program and the managers of the Mercedes junior program and we decided to join forces and co-invest with each other into these young drivers and and after a year or two one of those managers said to me you're an investor, have you never thought about buying the Mercedes DTM team And I was surprised that it was up for sale because I thought it was owned by Mercedes. And they said, No, 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 it's not owned by Mercedes. It's owned by Mr. Aufrecht, who is the founder from AMG. The A from AMG is Mr. Aufrecht, and it's a company with 150 employees. It's pretty solid, and we're doing lots of um, we're developing lots of race cars, not only DTM. Why don't you invest in the team? Got to know Mr. Aufrecht, and that was really um, one of the greatest personalities I've ever met in my life. And um, and, um, and I meant, he became a mentor of mine and now a friend of mine. And maybe I can give a little bit back as being the mentor now. So the roles have rewer- reversed in 79 today. And he allowed me to co-invest in this fantastic company called HWA and I bought 49% and we grew it. And I grew it and listed it on a stock exchange because this was part of my investment strategy and um and so i got involved in dtm and by getting involved in dtm i took an interest in formula 1 and looked at looked at formula 1 and one day williams appeared and um i visited them um uh, spent the day uh spent the day there and uh, the first meeting i i saw frank he said i was told that you can help me repay my mortgage and I said, yeah, I'd, I'd like to buy some shares. And he said, OK, then let's discuss what they are worth. This is what I need in order to repay my mortgage. And, uh, and then join Patrick and myself as shareholders of Williams. And here we go.
0: It was as straightforward as that with Frank.
1: Frank and Patrick are straight talkers. Um, Frank is, uh, was always very clear in what, uh, what his objectives were and i don't think you anybody needs to talk how straight talking patrick is <laughs> sometimes too straight talking but he knows it uh and we had a this was the start of my formula 1 adventure as an as an investor as a non-executive director i was listening much more than i was contributing at the beginning in 2009 and um I got involved in formula 1
0: were you part of the executive board that chose to, to to float on the frankfurt stock exchange at, at williams yes uh, would you do that again today
1: straight from the beginning i found um, a great um, partner in adam parr who was the ceo back at the time in williams who um, we had a, we had a joint vision how we wanted to develop the team he as the executive who ran it and me in a, in a non-executive function as a as a shareholder. And part of the deal and part of my struc- investment structure was always to list the companies on the stock exchange in order to provide access to more capital um, in, in case it was needed, to give it more visibility to allow investors to buy shares who were before not able to buy shares in a Formula 1 team and also a possibility for me to exit one day if I wanted. It's easier to exit a, a public company than a private company. and. And the shareholders and, and Adam Power were, were up for it, so off we went, Adam and I, to Peter Duo, selling the shares in Frankfurt.
0: But would you do the same now, in, in, in terms of the, the, the way Williams' fortunes are slightly suffering at the minute? Do you feel they are less dynamic because they're a public company?
1: As a public company, you always have more scrutiny. and. And if you're a micro-cap like Williams, this is the kind of stock that is, is relatively small and has little liquidity, there are some downsides. But I believe it gives a transparent value to Williams today as a public company. It provides them with easier access to um, finances. If Williams were to issue new capital today, they could easily do it over the stock exchange. And it's much more difficult to do it privately. So insofar, I think it was the right thing to do. Um, for the shareholders back
0: then and today. Now, I asked you earlier on about your proudest achievement, and uh, I want to suggest one race to you. I think it was Austria 2014, where effectively your cars finished first, second, third, and fourth. Two Mercedes, first and second, then two Williams, third and fourth. Do you remember that race?
1: I remember exactly, and it's the only trophy, apart from the Constructor Championship trophy, that I actually have in my office um it's not the nicest trophy but it is a trophy that has so much um value for me personally because in spielberg it's where it's all started for me in the early 90s with the
0: the walter lechner with the walter
1: lechner racing schools the endless laps i did there walking and, and instructing other people and and really not having an idea of where my life would lead me and then eventually i ended up in 2014 as being a shareholder of both teams because i didn't sell my shares back then and we finished on the first four positions and i remember i i drove the car back to vienna Um, that Sunday evening um, a a, a trip which I did hundreds of times and I realized that I was just involved in two teams that finished in the top four positions in in a Formula One World Championship and that was a moment that was really really special for me.
0: It's been uh, an amazing career on and off track but do you miss the investment side of things now or do you still buy, sell, buy, sell for the first hour of every day?
1: Yes, I, I miss it a lot. Um, I have a, a great friend of mine who has picked up the baton uh, with our investments and um, who, who advises uh, advises myself and advises our investment companies uh, what to do, so I'm still involved and, and, and watching what happens. But um, it's something that I, that the diversity of the investments I miss. Uh, I still um, try to to be actively involved in, in some of the fund management. Uh, we have a, a great, um, shareholding in a in a brokerage company that I enjoy following, and um, and looking at the markets. Uh, I'm uh, act, together actively we. We, we look at what the stock and equity markets are doing and the bond markets, and I do it every day. The financial time is, is my first read in the morning. And then I dive into racing cars and uh, coming back home in the evening, uh, maybe back into the investment world.
0: Do you think your business experience has helped you navigate through the sort of potential potholes of the Formula 1 paddock? Or in are they just for- two different things?
1: It's two very different things in terms... When it comes down to running a team, but Formula One as a business, FYM um, or Liberty's business, is something which is much closer to what I've done in the past. At the end, it's about uh, growing, growing a business and uh, generating margin, and uh, this is what I've what I've done all my life. So maybe that additional angle of mm, the activities I have done the 20 years before I joined Formula One is something that is that it. That is helpful, but it's not helpful at all, at all when the lights go on green.
0: <laughs> sure. What about um, in terms of enjoyment? Which part of your life have you enjoyed the most—the business bit, buying and selling companies, or the Formula One bit?
1: Now I'm forty-six years old. Forty-six years old, and the the part that I enjoy the most is actually my family. I have um, two. Wonderful kids that are that are teenagers, and uh, as far as they let me participate in their life, I I really enjoyed it. And Susie and I have having a little one and a half year old who I, who I tried to spend a lot of lot of time with with him before I flew to Singapore. I took him out in the park in in Oxford for for an hour, and these are things I've never done in the past, and I really love it. And then obviously having a wife like Susie who is Um, equally ambitious and driven and knowledgeable in our business um, is really the the fundamental happiness of my life. Um, And then there is a big gap, and then Formula One and investments um, come. And because I'm running a Formula One team today, it's Formula One as a priority and uh, investment a little bit like a hobby.
0: Well, let's talk more about wife Susie. Um, She's just become a team principal, actually, in her own right, in Formula E. Uh, that must lead to some pretty interesting pillow talk in the Wolf household.
1: <laughs> yes, it does, and uh, it's good for me also because uh, she's been in a sport for a long time um, on marriage. She she from go karting to Formula Three and then DTM. She's always followed her path, and that is pretty inspirational for me also because she had so many moments in her life where it looked like this that it was the end, but she she keeps pushing through and. And here she is um, partnering with um, Gilles de Pastor, who is a great entrepreneur, um, and um, and running running Venturi. And uh, since she has started the um, the journey, we we just cross each other at home. Uh, she's leaving, and I'm coming. But um, the time we are together, we enjoy very much. We the pillow talk is about motor racing.
0: What bit of advice? If there's one bit of advice you can give her as she goes on this next journey as team principal what what advice would you give her
1: actually she doesn't need advice because she has um, she has her own opinion and um, she said to me that she needs to go through her own learning phase and make mistakes um for her to progress as a as a as an entrepreneur in that environment but obviously she we are we are we are almost uh, 10 years with each other now, she's followed. She's been part of what I've been doing from DTM to to Williams and Mercedes, and um, because motor racing is motor racing and investments is what we talk twenty four seven. Twenty four seven at home. Some of the some of the things, um, or some of the opinions she has taken on board. I guess.
0: What do you guys get up to in your free time? If, if do you have any free time? <laughs> do you, Total Wolf? I mean, I looked at your schedule, and it just doesn't stop.
1: Yes, we we have free time. You, it's you just said a, a moment question. ago
0: you took you took Jack to the park for an hour. Yeah, you know, that's it, a hands-on dad, but I mean, it's not a long time, is it?
1: No, but it was it was a it was a great hour. And to describe it, the day I left is is a good example. I was walking, uh, came home, took the little one to the park for an hour with uh, with the football. Um, left Susie in Heathrow. Um, and Uli, who runs our DTM team, we had an hour in a coffee shop there discussing DTM and Formula E. Off she went to Monaco to, to run her Formula E team and I jumped on the pli- to flight onto Singapore. But the time we spend with each other is quality time. And of course we have the, we have the free weekends and we are trying to use every minute um, as good as we can. And, and because the marriage is the fundamental basis of all relationships in the family... Uh, we we look after our marriage and we we spend time together. We leave for the odd weekends together. We have fantastic grandparents in Susie's uh, Susie's parents, uh, Sally and John, who are um, who are fantastic. They come they come for a week and 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 spend time with uh, little Jack. And um, two weeks ago, Susie and I decided spontaneously to to go off on a beach for three days in Italy and spend just time her and myself because before the crazy final third of the Formula One season would start.
0: So just grabbing moments whenever you can. That's how, how you live your life. Are you, and being Austrian and spending some time in Switzerland, are you, are you a good skier? Are you? What else are Austrians good at? skiing well quite good at music I perceive myself as an okay skier but
1: if some of my close school friends would listen to the podcast they would say well my skiing is not as great as it could be but uh, yeah we try to keep um, a healthy lifestyle and and go to the gym we have fantastic place in Brackley where and with with funny trainers where we can train and Ksusi um, is into this as well, and uh, we are outdoor, outdoor people. We go mountain biking and, and w- walk around, and uh, this is something that is that is keeping us healthy for the journey.
0: Okay, well, Toto, it's been fantastic to speak to you. Thank you very much for your time. I've got one final question, and it's one that I've always wanted to ask you. Have you ever been to Africa? Have you ever met a girl called Rosanna?
1: Hold the line, please. <laughs>
0: 80s music gags aside, I found this very enlightening. What a journey Toto's been on, from the trauma of losing his father to being a racing driver, an investor, and now one of the most successful team principals ever. And it was great to hear that Nicky Lauder is making progress following his double lung transplant as well. Toto, thanks for your time. That's it for another week, but don't panic. We have another F1 Megastar for you next week. Make sure you don't miss it or any other episode of Beyond the Grid by subscribing. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and your favorite podcast app. And please keep in touch using the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid or send me a tweet at TomClarksonF1. We love receiving your comments and feedback. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Until next time, keep it flat out.